It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. So this is the uh, fourth installment of my uh, series uh, that we're doing over the summer called uh, The Muscular Christian. And uh, don't you love the title? Do you see that one, guys? That is a good title. One of my favorite words. I don't know why I like uh, that word grit, but for whatever reason, it just sort of it makes me want to do manly things. Grit. And so I even have a subtitle to our title, which is Regaining the Ancient Strength of the Church. So if you study church history, you recognize that there is something that previous generations have had that we don't seem to. So either truth and the power of God over time has just sort of grown lax and weak, and God no longer has his muscle. You know, a lot of people have this picture of God of having a long gray beard, and over time he just gets older and older and more decrepit, and he sort of lacks the strength and the, the verve that he used to have. And you couldn't get any further from the truth. God is the I am. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he was strong yesterday, he's strong today. And if he's strong yesterday and today, he's going to be strong tomorrow. And so that's one thing we can bank on in this life. And so God has not grown weary. He's not grown weak. He is strong. And he has strength to give. So my guess, and it's not really a guess, it's almost like I could say my statement on the matter, is that it, the problem lies with us, not with God. And so I desire, as I would hope you would enter into this desire, to say, God, you change us. Change us to match you. Change us to match your word. A lot of us today want to change his word to match the way we want to live. That isn't how Christianity functions. We have to be the ones that are changed. And so this idea of grit, of regaining the ancient strength of the church, it starts with us recognizing that we're lacking something. Remember, Jesus came for those that were sick. Those that understood their need for a physician, he is the great physician. But if you don't recognize you're sick, you're not going to come to the great physician. We need to know our need. We need to recognize our lack. And so a message like this is really good for creating that gap between where you are at, where I am at, and where God has called us. And we see the difference, and then how do we respond to that difference? Do we shrug our shoulders and say, oh, I don't care. God has called me to live this way, but yeah, I'm living down here. I don't care. Or do we allow the Spirit of God to stir us to say, you want this? This is what I'm commissioning you to do. Say, but God, I can't do that. So is that where you're going to stop? Are you just going to throw up your hands and give up? Or are you going to grab a hold of me until you get it? You see, God allows for a gap to be created, a discrepancy between his commission to us, his high calling, and our ability to fulfill it. The question is, how we handle that gap is of the utmost importance. Grit. You see, there are certain people that grit their teeth and say, I refuse to accept that discrepancy. And God says, keep going. What what are you saying to me? God, I can't handle this. I I can't handle the fact that my life is not producing fruit. 
Okay, keep talking. What are you going to do about that? Well, God, I, I've tried the best I know how in my own strength to pull it off, and I can't. There has to be a way to do this. He goes, oh, interesting thought. What do you think that way is? In other words, the Spirit of God cultivates this. He wants us to grit our spiritual teeth. He wants us to growl within to not accept the mediocrity. He is giving you a vision for something more, not so that you could just throw up your hands and say, eh, but so that you would crave it. You would desire it. You, like Rachel, would say, give me children or I die. Give me that real version of Christianity, otherwise I can't keep going. I must have what you have to give, Lord. Chocolate Soldiers. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book. It's a C.T. Stud book called Chocolate Soldiers. So I did a whole adaptation of it. It's a modern adaptation. I call it a manful adaptation by Eric Ludi of Chocolate Soldiers. If you're ever interested, I could share it with you. But uh, so here's a little quote from it. It's good. So C.T. Studd, by the way, that's, if you've never met C.T. Studd, he, he's not alive, so you couldn't meet him, but you could meet him through his biography, uh, which is just good stuff. Could you imagine, there's a man whose name was C.T. Studd, and I'm Eric Ludi. I get this dud name, and he gets Stud. I mean, could you imagine just growing up with that name? Which of us is not stirred to scorn and amusement at the very idea of a soldier made of chocolate? In a time of peace and ease, true soldiers are like captive lions, pacing back and forth and fretting in their cages. These genuine soldiers are built for fight, and it is war that gives these soldiers their liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or die in the attempt. Chocolate soldiers are an altogether different sort. They fear the fray and avoid it at all costs. They are artisans of excuses, conning themselves into feeling noble for their efforts to spare themselves any discomforts of manliness. Chocolate soldiers, you turn the heat up, what happens? They melt. And that's his entire premise. He's like, you cannot be a chocolate soldier. Chocolate soldiers look really good in their frilly uh, gown, you know, their little white uh, cozy thing that a little chocolate drop sits in. They look really nice, and they look so tasty and dainty, but when the heat turns up in life, they melt away. You are built to be a true soldier. A true soldier is completely different than a chocolate one. It is built for real-world engagement, and when the fire turns up, you actually are refined. You become more pure. You become stronger. It's the exact opposite effect. Every single one of us is a chocolate soldier when we pop out of our mother's womb. We have to be converted from being a self-centered person who literally only thinks of what will make them happy in life. And by the way, the, the smell of gunpowder in the air, the difficulty of living in a tent and having a rock for your pillow and being a soldier uh, is not a fun life. And so as a result, we will naturally gravitate away from it. But God is calling us to be built of stuff that truly is ready for any difficulty, any trial, any danger, and to match it, to face it with boldness. So what is the difference between the following? So God is going to give a lot of twos in Scripture. 
if I ever talked with you about twos, you have a first and a second. I know that's profound. But the first, God always says, no, don't accept it. It cannot please me. And so what you see in like the sheep and the goats is he separates them out. In the end, he separates the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. What is the difference between a sheep and a goat? Because they look similar. They both say, they both have similar qualities, and yet in Matthew 25, what we're going to see is there's a difference. The sheep do something. The goats do not do something. Isn't that an interesting distinguishing factor between these two? Tares and wheat. If you were to separate out the tares from the wheat, what is the difference? They both look similar. They grow up, and a farmer cannot actually at certain junctures be able to discern the difference between a tear and a wheat. But there's a difference. One produces fruit, one doesn't. Sloths and ants. Uh, Abby really loves sloths, so it's, uh, I'm glad she's not in here today to hear uh, this indictment of sloths. But sloths think about themselves and they accomplish nothing. They literally sit in a tree all day and sleep and it is painful for them to come down the tree and go to the bathroom. And they have these long nails. And if they ever want to go for a little walk, they moan. Oh! Oh! I mean, a sloth is just a pathetic creature, okay? And it's embarrassing to even talk about them, to study them. And uh, it, I, I forgot what it was. It was like the, the fastest moving sloth was, oh, it was like hilarious. I don't remember what it was, like five feet in an hour. Uh, and God creates a separation. It's like you see that character, and you see this one, the ant. What is the difference? They both live in a tree. Isn't that fascinating? They both live in a tree. But the ant is industrious, and it works to protect the tree. It is literally, it fills the tree. It lives inside the tree. What do you think we do? We live in a tree, if you want to say it that way, too. We live at the cross. We live in the work of Christ, but the sloth looks similar. It lives in the same tree, but it doesn't produce anything. It is only thinking about itself. And so as a result, God separates the ant from the sloth. And he says, do you see the difference? The five virgins without and the five virgins with. There's ten virgins, but God separates them out and gives a distinguishing between them. One does not have something. The other has something. What is it? Oil in the lamp. We could say <clears throat> grit. One has oomph to say, God, I have everything I need now to live uh, because I have gone to you and I've gained the oil. I've gained the life of the Holy Spirit. I have the grace to be able to do it. And the other one looks very similar on the outside but is without. It is without that oomph, without that oil, without that substance, without that power to do it. Historic grit. Okay, I'm going to give you a, a nice little overview of some historic grit. Peter, the Apostle Peter, was crucified upside down. Andrew was tied mercilessly to two beams of wood and left to hang to death for three days. Paul was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Philip was crucified. Matthew was slain with the sword. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned and clubbed. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Mark was dragged to pieces. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hung. And John was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and removed unscathed and then exiled to Patmos. 
So, that's the heritage that we have been grafted into. This is how the church started. Those are its leaders. Why is it that we presume that our lives should not look like that? Isn't that funny? Because we do. It's like, well, that was early Christianity. Wait a minute, no, that was Christianity. Let's make sure we clarify here. That has always been Christianity. The fact that we come from cultures that might be a little less intensive in their need of grit in the Christian doesn't necessarily cause us to change this. This is still the facts. This is how it works. This is how it's always worked. So what I want, remember how I said there's, there's nothing quite like a grace gap where we recognize here we are and here's God's calling. So let's imagine that we have an angelic visitor. And it it's, could be an archangel, but it's like some heavenly high guy, okay, who comes in and we get to see. It's like, whoa, do you see that? And we're all sort of looking. We don't know if we should look, you know, because he's very bright. And we're like, wow, there's like an angel in here and we're seeing him. And this is really cool. And he's a, a messenger. And he's, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I was sent uh, by Jesus Christ and Jehovah God to represent uh, their desire for you. Uh, I've heard rumor, I've been going through the world and I've been looking for Christians who uh, would be willing to actually do the work of the kingdom uh, today. To not be goats, to not be tares, and to not be the five virgins without. To not be sloths. And I heard that there were some in Windsor, Colorado, so I've come a long way, uh, and I have a job description for you. I mean, this would be like the ultimate honor if this angelic creature comes into our midst and says that he has selected us. In looking to and fro throughout the earth, he has found a group of people that he believes would respond. Would we respond? Well, you could say, to what? <laughs> what, what, what would he be asking? If he asks it, then I'll tell you if I'll respond. You see, Christianity is exactly opposite of that reasoning. It says, I've already responded to Jesus, and I've said yes. So if he asks me to do something, I guess my answer is already out there. It's floating around. It's the pre-decided yes. Do you have a pre-decided yes, or do you have a reluctant, uh, I'll consider it, uh, yes? In other words, maybe after a few years, after wrestling with sleepless nights and turning over and over again in your bed, you eventually come to the conclusion, yes, but the angelic messenger is long gone. The job description was filled a long time ago. If there were job descriptions open right now for leading positions in this generation to represent Christ Jesus, would you sign up? So imagine this guy has a clipboard. He's like, guys, uh, I have, and I don't remember, I think it's like 14 positions. I have 14 positions. I am going to step out uh, for about 10 minutes, and I'll come back in and grab the clipboard. Whatever spaces are filled are filled. If they're not, I will go elsewhere, and I will find people to fill these roles in this generation. How could we let him go without signing up on the clipboard? Now, I know what's going on in your mind is, what's on the clipboard? What, what are the job descriptions? Does it matter? Does it matter? If you knew that God was requesting your service, God Almighty was recruiting you, to represent him and his name and his fame and his renown and to carry the glory of God into this generation, no matter what it would cost you, 
would you be willing to sign up? Now, I must admit, the job descriptions on this list are not that easy. Especially when you see them, you're going to immediately notice a grace gap. You're going to be down here, and the job description is going to be up here, and what fills the intermediate portion is a bit of anxiety and fear. So how you handle that is going to define how you live out your Christian life. So what I'm doing in giving you this message is I'm laying a foundation for muscular Christianity. Because all of us are cowards, guys. There isn't like a special version of a human that just doesn't deal with any type of reticence. We all deal with reticence. But sometimes it's in different areas. Like some people are more bold socially than others. But we're all cowards in different aspects of our life. And so when God presses us into obedience and he says, what about it? Are you with me? We find ourselves oftentimes pulling back. But that's the very time when God wants to train us by his Holy Spirit to press forward with confidence and faith. God, I can't do this, but I know you will do it in me. My answer is yes. So I'm going to give the, uh, what's on the clipboard. Okay? Could you imagine he hands it to me and he says, uh, what's your name? My, my name is uh, Eric Ludi, sir. He says, all right, you read it to them, and then you set it back on the table. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, yes, sir. And I'm like sweating. And uh, okay, so now I'm reading it to you. So here's his needs list. He needs one to be crucified upside down, one to be tied mercilessly to two beams of wood and left to hang to death for three days. He needs one of us to be beheaded. One stoned, another crucified. One slain with the sword, one stoned and clubbed, one stoned and beheaded. He needs one to be stoned and beheaded, and dra one dragged to pieces. Yet another crucified. One cruelly beaten and then crucified. One thrust through with a spear, one hung, and then we need one to be thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil. And you can say, so does that one come out unscathed and is exiled to Patmos? <laughs> it doesn't say anything about that here. Are you noticing a grace gap? Are you noticing something inside of you that says, I mean, if it was like, go up to some stranger in King Supers today and share the gospel, that would be hard. Okay, if I had a list like that, okay, we need another person to go to Coffee 29 and get down on their knees, take off someone's shoes and wash them, and don't say any words when you do it. They're like, oh, boy, that, that's just like. Those things would be hard, let alone these. This is the commission of the king of all kings. He is asking if we would rise up, and he says, I need this in this generation to set a generation free to hear the gospel. I need men and women that I can spend, men and women that I can give just as I gave my son. I need lives whose answer is yes to my Holy Spirit. Ah. Now, here's, here's the test of our souls. You know how we should be responding? I think we all know. We should all immediately as one person stand up and say, choose me. It would be an honor, Lord Jesus. But there's a hesitation, isn't there? That hesitation is what I want the Holy Spirit to put his finger on in each one of us. I want us, because in every situation, when you're being built as a Christian, you're being built for instant response. There are going to be circumstances in your life where you shouldn't spend time thinking about what you should do. You should step forward and do it. Because most of Christianity is actually lived out in instantaneous obedience. 
And if you do not do it instantly, you miss the moment. There is a gap. And you need to be instantaneous. And so right now, we're finding ourselves with jelly legs. I mean, the clipboard is on the back. I set it back there. And guess who I I mean, I should technically in this situation look at the list and say, which is the hardest? And when I'm setting down the list, I should check it off. I'm not sure which one that would be. It might be the first or the last, okay, on the list. I mean, who wants to be thrown into a pot of boiling oil? <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, well, who wants to be stoned and then crucified? Who wants to be hung on a tree for three days? I, we could have a good argument for each of these. I think most of us would just say, oh, let me just be beheaded. <laughs> but you see, our reasoning, our reason, is in, our reason is that we want to have as little suffering as possible. Instead of recognizing, I remember this one statement by, oh, I wish I could remember his name. He was a Waldensian. Oh, I can't remember it right now. And this is what he said when he, his, his, his wife and his son had been like flayed alive, like skinned, cut into pieces. I mean, just like tortured at the highest levels. And then they said, and we will do worse to you. And he said, 10,000 deaths of such a kind would be too few for me to express my love for Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. Could you imagine choosing and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll select that and then multiply it by 10,000. I'll do it 10,000 times. <sighs> Who does that? Hey, guys, you have access to something that will change your life from being cowardly to courageous. It is not you. It is something from the outside that if you reach out and grab, wants to live inside of you. The reason we feel the shortfall in this is because it's real. We are not the answer to God's great challenge. He is. But he needs a body. And so what he does when he brings up issues like this before us is he shows us that we are not sufficient. It's okay to notice that. But he is. His grace is sufficient. It makes up the difference and then overflows beyond. He will give us superabundance for every good work. We have some good works right here, guys. And it's hard, isn't it? If you've got jelly legs, it makes total sense. The grace gap, the difference between human ability and God's high calling. You see, when we lower God's high calling down to an American level, and we say, well, you know, I'm doing better than that person. You know, yeah, I, you know I, I share the gospel once every six months or so. You know, that's better than most Christians today. We lower the bar so low that there's no discomfort. That's what we're trying for. We're trying to get to the level where there's no splinters, there's no pain, there's no bloodshed, there's nothing. There's no persecution, no mockery, no derision. Down here, if we could just all lower it down here, then it's like, yeah, I could do that. You see, that's not how God works. God raises the calling to a point where we can't do it. But God, I can't do that. I know. Well, God, well, what am I supposed to do then? Uh, you need me to do it in you. It's called grace. You see, we are saved by this. Everything about our life functions, is enabled by God making up that difference. You see, when we lower the high calling, we excuse ourselves from the life of grace. And now it's the life of self-will, self-determination, self-ability. 
But when we allow God to raise the bar, what does it expose in us? Gulp, I have jelly legs. I'm a coward. I can't do that. I mean, if all we had was the commission to go into King Supers today and share the gospel with one person, we have jelly legs. And some of you are really scared that that's going to be the assignment today, that the end conclusion is, all right, guys, now you know. You didn't sign up on that clipboard, but I'm going to put another clipboard back there. This is actually not a bad idea. (laughs) I should have come with a clipboard today. Grabbing a hold of the banister. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this uh, story from my life. seems like I've brought it up, but I can't remember. And that is that in the middle of the night years ago, there's something that is beckoning me downstairs. And up to that point, I always had done it. And it's just like I hated it too. It's like, oh, why would I do that? But something changes this one night in my life. I'm looking at Scripture. I'm like, God, I know that you have something for me. There was a grace gap. I saw the calling, but I couldn't live it. And that night, I grabbed a hold of the banister, and I said, God, I know that you have it, and I'm not letting go of this banister until I get it. And about an hour later of clinging to a banister, I went back to bed. And it was the first time I ever saw the reversal. I ever saw the change. And I recognized that God can supply something. I didn't know to call it grace at the time, but I discovered it. For each one of us, we need to grab a hold of a banister. If you're a little disturbed by how you're handling this message and this clipboard and you're recognizing you don't know if you would have gotten up and you don't know if you would have signed, it's like, oh, well, it looks like there's already 14 people that have gotten, oh, I wish I could have gotten up, but uh, there looks like so many other people responded quickly. When Hudson Taylor invited the, uh, what was the, the group with C.T. Studd that came from uh, England over to China? You guys remember what it was called? It was five of them. Cambridge 5, Cambridge 7, I think is what it was. Cambridge, does that sound right? Cambridge 7? They were all these very manly men. And Hudson Taylor comes over, recruits them. And these seven, C.T. Studd is one of them, they go to interior China. And there is a commission, one, an opportunity opens up to enter into a very, very dangerous sector of China. And Hudson Taylor starts out, he's standing in front of these seven. He goes, guys, I have an opportunity that has opened up and I would like one of you, or maybe it was two of you, I don't remember how, how he said it, to actually pray about going and, and uh, you'd be risking your life. Uh, it would be very dangerous. You likely will not come back. But uh, who would be willing? All seven of them in the same movement raised their hand. And I've thought about that many times. It's like, how am I handling that moment? And I feel like I just got beat by the other six of them. If I'm in the seven, I feel like I just blew it. Are you one of those guys that once you see everyone else raising their hand, then you sort of, it moves your hand up too because you don't want to be the one guy that isn't raising his hand? At the same time, I want to be the guy that's not like, oh, I don't want to be the awkward one. I want to be the guy shooting my hand up. With the risk that they'll look and say, Eric, you got your hand up first. All right, you're going. I was just trying to show off. (laughs) It has to be genuine. It has to be real. In one summer, they all died. So this is before Ellerslie. And I remember this critical moment in my life where I had always been in the in the generation, it was like you had the grandparent generation, you had the parent generation, and then you had my generation. So I'm in the sort of the young uh, adult generation where we're the, in, in, 
in 10, 15 years, it's always like 10, 15 years we'll be the leaders, but we never really think about it. We're just growing and other people lead and uh, it was a strange thing, but it was like this whole upper crust of Christianity and all the leaders in one summer, there was like seven of them that passed away. And it exposed my generation. And I, w- I was older than I realized I was at the time, you know, because you always think of yourself as really young. And I've had to accept the fact that I'm not as young as I think I am. I'm actually older, which then creates a gulp inside to think that I'm the one that needs to sign up on that clipboard. That's exactly the moment that was happening to me. I, I felt it, like God was sitting a clipboard in front of me saying, so who's going to take this uh, one role here? I'm looking around going, well, God, I'm sure there's some great men out there that are a lot more gray-headed and older than I am. And he didn't move. Bouncing on my toes, like, so, yeah, there's a lot of older people out there, and I could help you find one. I could be like a headhunter, a recruiter for you. Uh, he doesn't move. Oh, God, I, I'm so young. I don't know that I can carry that type of weight. You're right. You can't. Well, then why are you looking at me? Because I can, and I'd like to use you. Oh, God, no, please. This is a very real thing that I've had to work through in my life. The commission that I entered into when I entered into this ministry put me in the line of fire in such an extreme way. I have had so many difficult things hit me since I took this position, and it's real. It may not have led to my beheading or my stoning or my clubbing or my crucifixion, but it's psychological clubbing, psychological splinters, psychological uh, beheading. I don't know if that's how you would say it. And it's, it's real. It is real suffering. Now, I'm the happiest guy you'll ever meet. This isn't some kind of woeful tale. It's saying that God has given me grace for it. But it's real, guys, and this comes to us as Christians So it's not just an imaginary tale of some angelic creature with a clipboard. If you allow your life to be molded and shaped by the Spirit of God, he will come to you with a job description. Eric, are you willing? Sometimes words are hard to get out. You just do this. And gulp a few times in the process. Yes. But God, I, 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 you know I need grace. Yeah, I know you need grace. Okay, as long as we have that understanding here, I, 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 can't, I don't have what it takes right now. He goes, you'll have it. And that's one of the challenges we face is that we have to recognize that what he's calling us to, we don't yet have grace for it. We will have grace for it. And I don't, you guys have heard my illustration of the empty well and the fire. You have a fire, a building on fire, and, and God's like, draw from the well, and douse the fire. And the last time you checked in that well, which is like your soul and the depths, you're like, it's empty. I don't have anything in there. And so he says, I want you to trust that I will supply when you draw. You draw, I supply. You draw in faith. So I set the bucket in, and I begin to move towards the fire. Whoa, God, I'm moving towards the fire, and it's getting hotter. And then I'm pulling up. And right as I swing back, I grab the bucket and I swing it back, and then what comes out of it? Everything that is needed to douse that fire. But the last time I checked in there, there wasn't any water. 
You see, this is the way it is in our spiritual life. We may not have the grace right this second, and we have access to it, but we may feel weak to the task. But when we move forward in faith, we have everything we need when we take that step to accomplish that which he has commissioned us to do. If you were called to be beheaded, did you know that you could approach that beheading with a song? You could approach it with love and be thinking about the people around you that they need to know Jesus. You could be fully alive in that moment. The reason I can say that is because I've read Christian history and martyrdoms, studied them in depth, and I know how it works. I mean, this is literally a huge deal to me because for me, I know. I mean, I've had this sense since I was a young, young guy in my late teens that I was going to die a martyr. So as a result, you have to recognize what goes on inside of me. It's like, okay, God, I I don't feel like I'm sufficient for that. I don't feel like I have the stuff. Well, you don't, Eric, but I do. Do you want it? Yeah, when do I get it? Do you remember the statement that uh, Corey Tenboom and her dad, they had a conversation about this exact thing, and Corey asked her papa, Papa, if... If I'm ever asked to lay down my life for Christ, if I'm ever asked to suffer, how do I know that I'll be able to do it? Because I feel so weak, Papa. I feel so vulnerable to failing, Corey. When we go on the train, when do I give you the ticket? Right before we go on. So it is with your Heavenly Father. He knows when you need it, and so he will always supply it when it's time. So for all of us, that's why we respond, even though we have jelly legs, with faith. Because we know he makes up the grace gap. So when someone asks you if you can do something, your answer is, when you stick your hand up in the air, it's like, I know he can. This is his vessel. He has chosen this vessel to do mighty things for his name. And so I'm not consulting Eric Ludi in this. I'm saying this body is bought and paid for by the living God. My answer is yes. I'm making a decision on behalf of his name, his glory, his fame, not my comfort. Yes, of course we'll do that. But you do know it could cost you your body. It's his body to spend. It's not mine. This is his life to live through my body. Hey, you. Are you willing? You got mixed into this message now, didn't you? Grit, courage. Bravery, pluck, metal, backbone, spirit, strength of character, strength of will, moral fiber, steel, nerve, fortitude, toughness, hardiness, resolve, resolution, determination, tenacity, perseverance, endurance. Spiritual grit. I'm not asking you to try and derive this out of your own substance because, you know, there's like Western cowboys in the United States that had grit. Yeah, that's not what we're after. It's just human oomph. We're looking for spiritual oomph. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that does go with you. He will not fail you, nor forsake you. Well, this is it, guys. They are given a challenge with a grace gap. They have nations that surround them on that far side of the Jordan that have giants in them. And they're not giants. Israel is weak. They, they, they were brick makers 40 years ago. They are wanderers. They're not mighty warriors. And yet they are being commissioned to go in and take the land. Fear not. Fear not. 
Be strong and of good courage. Of course, this is the ancient war cry, which we talked about on Monday. Or Sunday, I think it was. Remember Rakasak and remember Andridzomai. This is the ancient grit passed from Moses to Joshua, to David, to Jesus, to Paul, to <clears throat> you. This has been passed down through the ages and generations. It's like, can you do it? No. In and of your own strength. But can you do it in God's strength? Yes. And that's the war cry. That's what rises up inside of us when the angelic clipboard is presented to us. What you need inside of you is a statement. Rock a sock. Rock a sock. And I know this has been passed down from generation to generation. You are weak. He is strong. His grace is sufficient for you. It makes up the gap. I recognize that you fall short. He doesn't. He does not fall short to the commission that he has given you. He will not fail you. He will give you everything you need for this job description. Do you trust him? And if you trust him, your hand goes up in the air. You get up quickly and go back knowing it is the greatest honor to have been presented with that clipboard, to have been presented with that job description. Praise God that you had such an illustrious opportunity. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. And Ridzomai, be manful. Charles Spurgeon, <clears throat> pray God to send a few men with what the Americans call grit in them. Men who, when they know a thing to be right, will not turn away or aside or stop. Men who will persevere all the more because there are difficulties to meet or foes to encounter. Who stand all the more true to their master because they are opposed. Who the more they are thrust into the fire, the hotter they become. Who just like the bow, the further the string is drawn, the more powerfully it sends forth its arrows. And so the more they are trodden upon, the more mighty will they become in the cause of truth against error. Ah, uh, more of that, guys. I... I don't know how you respond to a message like this. I know how I do. This is like the meat and potatoes for my soul. This is what I need to hear. I need to hear this. This is a sermon for Eric just as much as it would be for you. In fact, maybe it's more so. Because I'm in the situation all the time, right? When I think my job description has been hot enough, difficult enough, God sort of comes and says, yeah, I, I was uh, going to and fro throughout the earth and I found a new job description. It's like, oh God. Or a new guy dies. He's like, yeah, we need someone to carry that weight too. What? In other words, I still have at every step a grace gap. God keeps expanding that gap for me to say, Eric, I haven't failed you up to this point, have I? No, you have not, God. But couldn't you allow me to like hit the grace gap and just like have it filled and then I just stay there for like 20 years? Why do we need to keep creating a gap that has to be filled by your grace? That's good for you, Eric. You see, it creates dependence. It builds your faith stronger. You see, I'm in the business of building mighty men and women of God. And that only happens when I create that grace gap. So it's okay. It's good. It's good that you feel inferior to the calling. It's good. If you actually don't, that's bad. <laughs> If you think you're good enough for the position and you don't even need God to fulfill your role, then you have a problem. But if you recognize that you fall short and that you are cowardly in the face of such a commission, hey, that's good. 
Well, it depends on what you do with that cowardliness. If you go to God with it, or you just excuse yourself and go, well, I'm not built for that sort of thing. Or do you say, God, here I am. My knees are knocking. My soul is trembling like a leaf. But I trust you. My answer is yes. My answer is yes. I will go where you call me. I will do what you ask of me, knowing full well that you will equip me and empower me to do it. My answer is yes. Father, I ask that you would move within each one of us to bring about a yes. Lord, we all tremble. It's human. But Lord, I pray that the work of the divine would take place within us. And even though we are very human and weak and frail, that you would take this fragile body and that you would fill it with your might. That you would infuse into it your courage, your boldness, your bravery. That you would shake this room just as you did in Acts 4, the room in which the early church was in. And that you would fill us with the spirit of boldness. That you would... Match that grace gap with your grit, with your oomph, with your power. Lord Jesus, raise us up for such an hour, such a time as this, and may we do valiantly. Lord, we love you and submit to you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.